Iahu mai koe taku manu i te rapunga i te kimihanga i te hahautanga ki manu o uta, ki manu o tai, ki manu o kōrero e hui tahi nei. Haumi e, hui e, tai ki e. This week on The Hui. Traditional Māori ways of caring for tūpāpaku are being revived in the Bay of Plenty. This process for me is really healing. Using a shroud on tūpāpaku is always a real honour. It's empowering whānau and reducing the financial burden of funeral costs as well. We can do this ourselves. And we discuss youth justice, from ram raids to support in court with our panel of experts. Plus, we catch up with the couple who are normalising the use of taonga puoro, traditional Māori instruments. Ngā mate pūrara i te motu whānui haramai, haere. Tātou e pupuru nei ki ngā weawe o te whenua ti hewa Mauriora, and welcome back to the hui. When we lose someone we love, grief is a heavy burden. But with funerals costing up to $10,000, there's also the financial burden on whānau. However, there are a growing number of alternatives to caring for the bodies of loved ones or to pāpaku. Mediana Johnson sat down with those in the Bay of Plenty who are reviving practices that are not only cheaper, but also healing for whānau. Haere atu ki tua o te ārai. When a loved one passes, Fano are left in the dark. It just seemed so unnatural and so, yeah, confronting. But from darkness comes light. I found there was a whole other way. It was the most sacred and beautiful process. So tell me a bit about where we are now. We're here at Ihukatea in Ohope. Uh, this is where me and Josh first met. We often came here on dates, we'd park up the car and reverse it back and have fish and chips in the back and yeah. And when you come back here, how does it make you feel? Like I'm getting a big uppy from him. Yeah. Sade Cable Run up here fell hard for young scaffolder Josh. Everything happened really fast pace. Yeah, it was just real magnetic, real magic. I couldn't have chosen a more amazing man. We will grow up together, you and me. I promise to tell you the truth and love you till death do us part. I can't wait to grow old with you. It felt way too good to be true. Like, is this really happening? Is this real? For 18 months, it was until the pain began. At the time, he was a go hard rugby, fanatic, played for Paroa. There was eight to 10 doctor visits. They thought it was rugby. Finally, a hospital admission and some answers. The doctors are saying that they think it might be cancer. The fit and healthy young rugby player was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, cancer of the bone. The cancer was quite aggressive. There was no time to muck around. Did you ever have a conversation with him about the fact that his death was inevitable? No, I didn't. It was, in his mind, there was no way. Yeah, we just had a baby. We were so happy he wasn't gonna go. So my role to Afi him was to fight with him. 
Amy. Yeah. So there wasn't much preparing in that sense because, yeah, we were fighting to win. Um, so we got nine months with him from, from diagnosis to the time that he passed. Josh was 25. What followed would ultimately change the direction of Sade's life. My only knowledge was that, yeah, we called the funeral director. They came out and we helped them to get him onto gurney um, and into the hearse and off we went. I had a real uncomfortable feeling about actually leaving him. Then for the next process, I knew that he was going to go be embalmed and that's what had to be done. It was just so strange, you know, he, the smell, the, the chemical smell for me, his touch, the feeling of him, so different. There's no intimacy and it definitely doesn't feel like our culture. So people are going to funeral directors because basically the funeral directors often pick up the body. And, and then they just go with the flow because that's all they know. Ruth Gerzen is a community advocate living in Ohope. I just love the idea of communities taking more responsibility in life as well as in death to look after their own and not having to pass things over to professionals. She runs the Funeral Guides Collective, a group that supports Mano to look after their deceased loved one without the need for a funeral director. We've lost that knowledge. The funerals became professionalised and the communities have lost that knowledge. Sade's impersonal experience with Josh sent her on a journey for that knowledge. I found there was a whole other way that we could do through Papako death care. The answer lay in Mātauranga Māori. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like this, I instantly felt that I'm going to be doing this, like this is where I'm meant to be, this is my calling, I, it just all made sense. Shrouding or wrapping the body in cloth before burial is one way she's learned to care for Tupapaku. So I dye my sheets in kukawai and earth pigment. So I'd like to use whenua that is where they're from. This process for me is really healing. What is it about the process that's healing for you? Just knowing that, um, yeah, this is my whenua. This is Nasi Pukiko. Using a shroud onto Papaku is always a real honour. How long would this process take with the whānau? Depending if you were going gathering for your um and where. Um, but usually like an afternoon spent, a few hours, this process. This would be a very healing time where you can sit around with whānau and connect and talk about whakapapa. We speak a lot about taking care of Papatua Nuku in life, um, and I think it's just as important to talk about in death, to practice in death. Something she wished she'd known earlier. I 
was so happy, but also so sad that I only know this now and wish that I could have done that um, for Josh, yeah. But what she wasn't able to do then, she's now helping other whānau do. And the knowledge is spreading across the rohe. At just 19, Whātonga is already giving back to his community. I've created two so far um, alongside my team, but I've only started doing it for two months now. So it's pretty exciting, still learning. A takapau wharenui is another alternative to a coffin or shroud. The teachings that I've been taught is we start off with panels. So um, starting off with our sides. The reason why we pull our harakiki up in line with our ara is that so we create a tighter weave and our weave doesn't fall apart or gaps show when it dries out. It's very important to, you know, keep your weave tight so that, yeah, your tupapaki don't fall out. So to complete uh, takapau wharaanui, um, depends if you've got a good group, about nine hours. I think it's awesome because he mataranga Māori and it also creates a financial and sustainable space for our whānau. How big of an issue is funeral poverty here in this store here? There's a lot of funeral poverty here. I mean, you could have two or three deaths in a whānau and it can be up to 10,000 each, and, you know, within a year. That's, that's a lot of money for, for whānau here. A government grant, if you need it, is only $2,400. And the funeral directors will tell us that there's a lot of bad debt that they're carrying. But she says the industry isn't fully supportive of their work. The Funeral Directors Association and some of their submissions to the government really wanted everyone to learn how to be like them and to be embalming and all of those things. And we're saying, no, that knowledge is not what we want. And Ruth is up against a powerful industry. Those funeral directors, our local ones, I think are wonderful. Um, nationally, I am concerned that there are two big um, Australian corporations that have bought up a lot of the funeral homes in New Zealand now. So I do worry about the industry as a whole in New Zealand. So it's a big business? Yeah, it's a, it is a big business. There are some beautiful people that work as funeral directors and the mahi that they do is stunning. But to me, we can do this ourselves. Sade's darkest days are now a gift. People often say to me, you know, you must get real sad or it must be heavy, but when there's that much love around, it's, yeah, it's so beautiful mm, and a real honour and privilege. Helping other whānau navigate their grief, providing some comfort for her too as she moves forward with her young whānau. Because you're never going to move on, I feel like, but moving forward was going to be easier now. Now, the Funeral Directors Association of New Zealand says while embalming is not mandatory, 
all funeral homes must offer whānau alternative preparation options. However, they say it is the best method available for caring for tūpāpaku before burial. They're calling for the WINS funeral grant to be raised to support low-income whānau, many of whom are opting to have no funeral because of financial constraints. Coming up after the break, on the hui, with political parties hardening their resolve on crime, what's the impact on youth who enter the justice system and those supporting them? Tracy Karanui-Golf and Renee Karina join us live in studio next. E tāko tāko tunu nei te tua te tāhuhu i te pai i te kaunga o tātātauhui. Welcome back. Political parties are pushing tougher stances on crime, but does this ignore the issues many already encounter in the justice system? And what's the impact on those there to support the system itself, including court-appointed communications assistants? Joining me now is Tracy Karanui-Golf, speech therapist and court-appointed communications assistant, and Renee Karina, lawyer and youth Advocate, tēnā kōrua. No mai rā ki hui. Tracy, you're a court-appointed communications assistant. Okay. What's the role do? Yeah. So in New Zealand, court-appointed communication assistants are specialised speech and language therapists. We're appointed by the court to assist defendants, witnesses and complainants to um, have with access to communication, to understand all the things that they need to understand, to be able to answer the questions their lawyers might ask them, and just to be able to meaningfully participate. Give me an example of how that support has been given. Give us an example of how Farno have used that support. Yeah, I can give an example recently um, at Rangatahi Court, actually, with a young person who felt to Fakama to come to Rangatahi Court because he knew that he would have to speak mm. in Fakafanangatanga. And so we um, adapted communication to give his pepeha via visual form so he could still participate in the process. Um, this is a young man who went from not talking to me at all to now agreeing to say his pepeha um, in the whare with his lawyer to participate meaningfully. Mm. And to be a part of the full process itself. Nice. Right? So, Renee, how important are the roles of people like Tracy, of, of court-appointed communications assistants in the process? Look, they're absolutely important. They walk alongside us, the youth advocates. I know some people might think, well, you're a lawyer. You've got the schools to talk and listen to a young person. But the reality is, with all the complexities that our young people face, um, we, we, we need the, the assistance of um, our communication assistants. So I'm mihi to our tuahine here, who was talking about a very uh, important topic today, about the work they do, they do in our justice system. And I thought that was a beautiful example of oh, what you did yeah. in the Rangatahi Court. And it shows sort of the innovation that the communication assistants can bring to the role as well. What's another example that you've seen of just how critical this role is? Sure, talking to a young person. Okay, you've got a curfew between the hours of 7pm to 7am, which means you must also present at the door when the police come knocking. However, if, if you behave well and you comply, we'll reverse that curfew. Mm. I mean, who, who can understand uh, that yeah. sort of language easily? Yeah. yeah. So, Tracy, given the role and the critical nature of the role, what's mm. the current situation? 
yeah. for court-appointed communications assistants? Yeah, so there's about, I would say, around 50 court-appointed communication assistants in the country at the moment, about five, maybe six Papa Māori, and very few of us who Papa Māori have confidence and competence working from a mātauranga Māori lens. Why is that so? Why aren't there more? Yeah, so speech and language therapy has been a programme of privilege. You could only access it in Auckland or in Christchurch as an undergraduate degree. That means you haven't had a degree before. That's how I became a speech language therapist. Um, or you could you could get it in Auckland via postgrad, which means you've already got a degree, so you add another one on top. Mm. Now, for our whanau, moving to this, moving to the city like Auckland or Christchurch isn't always going to be feasible. It's not. It's not reasonable for lots of our whānau. So um, Massey's come up with a solution to that. But that programme is potentially under threat? Yeah, it's definitely under threat to... Well, the worst case would be closure, but also restructure. So restructure being that it's we lose FTEs or we lose staff so to such a point that we can't teach with the criticality mm. and the specialty that needs to be for us to have graduates that are ready to work with our whānau and often whānau that are in really vulnerable states in hospitals and justice systems. Yeah. And so is that why there are that the wait times for whānau who are needing support are so long? It's simply because the workforce isn't there, Aye. and there isn't also the development of the workforce itself. Aye. Wow. That's great. Well, I'd just like to say to young graduates coming through the university system, there's a big push on putting young people through law school and med school, and yes, we mihi to our rangatahi for going to, through university, but how about... Speech and language therapy. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're serving communities. We, Absolutely. We know our young want to serve our communities. Mm. Massey's also... My role, I work at Massey University as well in a role called Kaiakiaki Māori, and that's about um, influencing the curriculum so that it's from an Aotearoa perspective, mm. that we're using research that's relevant to our rangatahi, to our whānau here, yeah. and also that we can work to keep our students safe when they come. And a means of supporting whānau. OK, Renee, there is, as you know, a tough on-stance crime yes. from various political parties. It's a big issue for this year's election. What's the impact of that, do you think? What would the impact of that be going forward now? Pātai pai, Jules. What, what it means is that if we can't have the assistance of communication uh, assist, assistance in our um, courts, we're going to miss a lot quite frankly, and there might be lawyers watching this show that say, well, I, I speak to my young person, fine, I can communicate. But the reality is we've got to keep upskilling. They come with specialist pukinga, mm -hmm. and we rely heavily um, on them for that. So there's been, as we know, um, a lot of knee-jerk reactions. We're in an election year this year. Uh, ram raids and the like. The ram raids, the ram raid legislation, which, by the way, isn't going to be passed before the uh, election. But there's been, as we know, a knee-jerk reaction to that. And, of course, we all understand the argument mm. that we need to keep communities safe. Yeah. There's not a lot of money around and people are scared. Well, yes, we all agree with that. But, quite frankly, the research clearly shows that putting... Uh, people in YJ is not a long-term deterrence by any stretch. Uh, thank you both <laughs> very much for, you, for your time. Really appreciate you both explaining not only the situation but also the impacts of current political voices and parties on the issues at play. That's Tracy and Renee, our expert panel. After the break, on the hui, the normalisation of using traditional Māori instruments, Tonga Puoro and Manawatu.
traditional Māori instruments is finding a resurgence in the Manawatu. Jerome Kavanagh and Rui Hatuna are part of this movement. And when they're not composing new waianta with their instruments, the couple holds wānanga to share the benefits of these ancient taonga. Corona, corona, ki arangi nui e tu yo nei corona, corona, ki o povatua nuku e ta kotoa ke nei. Tonga Puru is our original music tradition of iwi Māori, and its essence is the voices of the elements, the voices of the environment. Tonga Puru come from Te Orokohanga Teo, the origins of the world itself. You know, those sounds of our creation of the world. I was first introduced to Taonga Puro through my kuia. I think I was about eight or nine. And she mentioned to me, oh, this is our musical instruments. Not too long after that, I actually witnessed a kroa who played his pupurangi during a pōhiri. So my journey's been quite recent in the sense of depth, I guess. Like, I sort of knew about pōro, but not really in a sense of what it was or what it's, you know, what they were, just more the sound. Growing up, Taonga pūro wasn't a common conversation or a common concept. Yeah, or they were looked at as more like a porotiti was a, a toy. Or, yeah, but it wasn't common. Taonga Puro saved me in my dark times because it gave me a mahi, it gave me a purpose that my nako aligned to. Once I committed myself to being a practitioner of Taonga Puro, that really it brought me out of this dark space in a way that nothing has really. At that time, I was suicidal, quite severely depressed. I was on really heavy medication in terms of antidepressants. Once I was sort of well enough and had enough of a sort of 10 or so taonga pūoro, then I started to go around our kura and kohanga and share those taonga, because I sort of realised how the sound and how making them and how the pūrāko made me feel. Tangapuru has become a really natural everyday occurrence for us. So to use it in our haputanga was quite a natural evolution of how we would use our puro. We got these tonga, we got these puro, we got our baby coming, so I'm just really about putting that into practice, you know. The puro So we created our puro collection, I guess, for Tafirirangi. When I went into labour, it was um, a really good way for Jerome to be able to be involved, that we were a team, like, coming in, during, and then through the birth. It kept me really calm and gave me something to focus on. Those sounds that he hears within the Faritangata, now he's here, they are the sounds that remind him of that and that sort of keeps him real toe. Yeah, everything's really come from Luiha and Baby in terms of how we approach it. And it's sort of like customising 
what's best for our wayne and our babies. And then once we know that, oh, yeah, we'll come out here. practicing now for just over 20 years. And you know, we didn't have nobody coming to Korea today saying that you can be a Tongapuru practitioner. Yeah, I was really looking at people like Matsuhiri in Melbourne and going, oh, wow, I want to be like him. We've got a high focus on returning to our tupunorohes and taking our wananga back to the marae is really the biggest thing that we're focusing on. What we're going to do is we're just going to like take four breaths together. So when I say ka'u, you're going to breathe in through your ihu. As a practitioner, I can definitely feel the different types of wairua that happen when we do our uruatua. Whether it be people sort of uncomfortable at the start and then seeing them transition through that journey and feeling that modi be either quite dense and then seeing them transition into it, sort of releasing all that and to then see the people have sort of a weight off their shoulders, that's quite a beautiful thing. Really, once our whanau have our taonga back in our hands, then really we're empowered to be able to utilise those again as a rongoa. It's really exciting and it's um, for all of our whānau Māori because we get to wānanga together and make them and, and um, learn how to play them together. It's been beautiful and it's been challenging as at the same time. Like we probably could go and work for somebody else but we try and stay pono to our kōpapa. Our tūpuna have left us this tonga and if we dedicate ourselves to that mahi only, then they'll look after us. Some of the challenges for us is, does this align with our kaupapa? Like, there was a wine company that approached us to be kind of like the face of this organic wine, and then we just thought, oh, that's probably not appropriate considering the history of our people with Waipiro. Yeah, and we always check with our, our mums and our whanau. We say, oh, what about this? And, you know, and that one, my mum was like, oh, hell no. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I guess with like Tangapur or any art from Raranga or Fakairo, it doesn't just belong to us. There's a wider responsibility to our Fano, our Hapu, our other friends who are Tangapur practitioners. There's the all that that we've got to consider, you know. We're trying to achieve putting Puro back into the hands of our tamariki and whānau. So they have those tools in their kite to use every day, whether it be for rongoa, whether it be for entertainment. But we still want that mana of those tonga to stay intact. Anui te mihi ki a Jerome Rao Koruiha Kua Painga Ngā Kōrero Atatatu Hui ki konei i a Yanina. You'll find links to our stories on all our social media channels, Facebook, YouTube and others as well at newshub.co.nz. Until next week, enga iwi kia mau ki te tūranga o Tapu Tapu Atea. Haumie, hui e, taiki e. Taiki e.